have a friend that is a foster parent offer help, offer to babysit, offer to bring meals because especially when we first get a placement, it can be really overwhelming just trying to find this new normal, this new balance, this new family and being able to orchestrate. Hey everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Entering Motherhood, a podcast dedicated specifically to new moms going through this amazing journey in life. I'm your host, Sarah Bilger, a postpartum nutritional coach slash mechanical engineer. And as always, I'm so excited to be here with you and share all the information I've been lucky enough to obtain since becoming a mom. In this episode, we talk with Kelly, whose transition of entering motherhood actually happened when she made the decision to become a foster mom and what her journey's been like ever since. Hello, and welcome to Entering Motherhood. I'm so happy to have you here and learn what it's like to be a foster mom and the journey that you have been on becoming a mom. So how Thank about, you for having me. Yeah. How about you go ahead and introduce yourself and uh, just start off telling us a little bit about you. I'm Kelly. I live in Wyoming, just a little town. I am a teacher. I've been fostering for around three years now. So I've had about seven kids within that time frame. I currently have one now and he's just a big ball of energy. But um, I kind of grew up helping raise my nieces and nephews and then becoming a teacher. I saw a lot of kids that just really struggled at home and I always wanted to be able to do more. And so I decided to become a foster parent and I guess things just kind of happened to work out from there and I ended up loving it. I feel really passionate about helping these kids and these families. That's awesome. So you said three years ago. Yes. What was that process like? What was the first step once you were like, I want to foster a kid? What happened? I kind of went into it, and you're not supposed to go into it with this mindset, but I kind of went into it with like, I eventually want to adopt. And so I started looking into it, like, can single people, because I'm single, can single people foster kids? Can we adopt kids? What does that look like? What's the best way to adopt? All of those kinds of things. And I was you know, just approaching 25 and I was getting financially stable and I kind of wanted to wait and maybe like, you know, have my own biological kids and then foster. But then I was like, why wait when I can help now? And so I just kind of checked in with our local DFS agency who very clearly told me that if you want to adopt and that's what your heart is set in, this is not the path for you. She told me that the statistics around my area were like, one in every 50 kids that come to your home would be available for adoption. And so if my heart was set on that, not to do that. And so that was kind of a little bit disappointing for me since that was kind of my end goal going into this, but it was also eye-opening. And so I had to be able to think, okay, can I take in these kids? Can I love them with all I have? Can I give them back? Is that something I'm going to be able to do? And so I just kind of talked myself through it. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to try. I'm going to see what happens. And the foster care coordinator was very kind. She said that she's willing to give anybody a shot to see, you know, if they're able to do it. A lot of people get burned out really quickly. So she was just kind of very honest with that whole thing. Like it's going to be hard and you can try it and we'll give you a chance and we'll see if you can do it. 
and I was nervous about the single part. So I was like, I'm, I'm single. Do you, do you feel like I'll be able to do this? Like, if you want to do this, you can do this. And just kind of reassuring me, if it's meant for you, you'll feel it. Like, it'll be good. And so I had to start taking courses and I kind of waited for the summer because being a teacher, one of the perks, I guess, kind of having summers off. And so I got this big binder of things and there was a bunch of online courses. And so I had to go through all of this trauma training. I had to go through all of this, you know, working with families and all of these kids and the different age groups and, and going into it, I just like wanted newborn babies. That was kind of where my wheelhouse I felt like was. And then also I taught second grade. So up to kind of eight years old, I wanted the younger ones, felt like that would be better, but I had to take all of these classes, hours and hours and hours of training. Um, I got CPR certified. There's the home study interview. There was the actual, I wanted to make sure I, I lived in a bigger place than I did at the time. So I also went ahead and bought like a townhouse that was bigger, had bigger rooms, enough room for everybody, a big family room which is not necessary, but I felt like I needed that in order to move forward. And so I had to have locks on places where the medicine would be, and I had to make sure I had fire alarms and just all of the safety precautions, and I had to go through and check mark them off. And so we just kind of went from there, and the home study, they just make sure that, you know, you're mentally fit to raise a kid, that you have enough support, all of those kinds of things. So I really had kind of a crash course in parenting and I got done in maybe I think it was less than three months what it takes people like seven or so months because I was just like I'm gonna knock it out this summer and I'm going to be done with it and I'm gonna be ready to start taking in kids like coming in August having started in June so I got my certification and I was so excited and ready to go and then I didn't get a call for kind of a while. It took a while to get like up and rolling. But then once it happened, it was like, wow, that's crazy. So, so it was three months of intensive kind of prepping, preparing, getting ready for a potential kid to bring home. And, you know, that does sound pretty crazy because, you know, like when you become pregnant, you have that nine months or hopefully like it extends that period to prep and do all that stuff. But you even, you know, CPR certified, all the like certifications and trainings and stuff that you had to go to, like, do you think, I mean, like, that sounds like super intensive to me, like, you know, why, when you're becoming a parent, those things aren't necessarily a requirement. It's just like, oh, you want to have a kid, like, go ahead and have a kid. And like, now you're like fostering these children or, or like, you know, you said you were thinking of adopting and stuff and you have to go through all of this intensive work to like prepare for that child. Right. And it's, you know, it's not just preparing. I don't know that I'm going to have this newborn baby. I could have a newborn baby. I could have a toddler. I could have, you know, an eight year old. And then I eventually ended up taking in teenagers. So like preparing for any of that is a lot. And especially with the trauma that they come with, um, thinking about their families and what that, like, we have to communicate with families. Like, it's a whole, whole different ballgame. Very yeah. intense. So was the teenagers, was that your first foster kid? The first ones I had, it was called respite. So it was kind of providing foster care for foster parents. 
So it was kind of like a like a baby step in the pool. Like these kids had already been in foster care. They already used to being removed from their families. Foster parents already had them in a good routine. And then they got to come with me. There was an end date for that. So I had them for two weeks over Christmas vacation. And I had a two-year-old and a five-year-old little girls. And so it was, it was fun. It was exhausting. But, you know, it was also like, they're going to go home on this day. Like, we can do all of these things up until this day. And so that was kind of like, you know, a dip in the pool. And then I think it was, I had them for another weekend after that in January. And so I woke up taking care of two and five-year-old little girls. And then by the end of the day, I had an eight and a 12-year-old. So it was, and those were my first real fosters. That was, you know, fresh out of their home, fresh police escort, uh, you know, sad faces on my doorstep, not knowing how to feel about any of this new place. And uh, the little girl was actually a student in my class. So she kind of knew me. And I think that helped her. She was just like, oh, hi. And her brother had no idea who I was. So he was a lot more like, didn't know what to do. And he, I consider him my teenager because he was like, he acted like a 15-year-old, super tall, taller than me. And he comes in and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. And like, I got this. I have nephews. Like, it'll be fine. And um, so that was the real, the real deal. It was like, I don't know when they're going home. I don't know about family. Uh, they had some family members that were in jail. So we had to go and visit them. I had to communicate with them that way. I would send pictures. I had to figure out, like I had teenage nephews but I never had to be responsible for them. So I could just be, you know, the fun aunt. And now it was like, oh, here's freedom. Just kidding, you're not ready for that. <laughs> so it was a lot of like give and take. I'm sorry, you're my guinea pig kid, but this isn't gonna work. We need a different way to do the phone. We need a different way to do this. And then the eight-year-old, which that was a lot easier for me because I'm, I'm used to handling eight-year-olds at school. Like we started her on sticker charts to help her behavior. We started her on, you know, um, ended up needing a lot of sleep stories at night to help her fall asleep otherwise she would end up screaming and it took her a while to articulate I just need somebody in here I'm not used to being alone in this bedroom I'm not used to having my own room that kind of stuff so that was it was a lot of learning and growing with those first two and they were very patient with me they were awesome kids like they still are they still talk to me which is awesome and it's been two years so it's it was a really good journey it was definitely hard at some points um, and then I think theirs was really hard too, because it was my first one. So it was kind of jumping from like, I had the girls before and everything, but I knew when it was ending, it was kind of, kind of like long-term babysitting. And then now suddenly I was a mom, a single mom of two, and I was taking care of doctor's appointments and with foster care, they have to have well-child, like well-child texts in the first month, dentist appointments for the first month, just kind of backfilling everything that may not have been taken care of before and so I was missing more work because I was taking them to doctor's appointments and I was the one that was making sure that they were healthy and brushing their teeth correctly and you know bathing regularly and all of just the in and outs of things and they they're not like a newborn baby they haven't been taught all of these things and now I'm coming in and I'm telling them you need to make sure you're taking a bath you need to make sure that we're getting your laundry clean we need to make sure that you're brushing your teeth regularly and when that's not what you know, it's kind of hard to just go with it, especially if, you know, a stranger is telling you to do all this stuff and you're not used to having to do it. You're like, why? But we, you know, we got into good routines, took a while, we did pretty well. 
and then um, they also have to go to counseling. And so setting them up with that and finding a good counselor and a good fit for them and making sure that we're working through trauma and that we're working with caseworkers, making sure we're having those visits with family appropriate. And, you know, it was, it was quite a lot on my plate, but I had never, like, I love teaching. I love working with kids. I have never felt more purposeful in my life and more fulfilled than when I was fostering. And so they taught me how fulfilling it could be, you know, put, put everything I have into somebody else day and night. And they really didn't have much visits. So it was me 24 seven with them, taking care of them, hanging out with their friends. And luckily my family is very supportive. And at first when I told them I wanted to foster, they were kind of like, um, we're a little worried about you. Like, are you going to be able to handle that? These kids, you never know what they're going to come with. Just okay, if this is what you want to do. And so after that, and then bringing these kids over, they were just kind of like, okay, we're doing this. We got you. And so they were, they were super supportive. Um, my teaching partners, they were super supportive as well. It's all, it also got kind of hard after a while because they would, like, they don't understand because these kids come from trauma. And so my parents, as amazing as they are, they would like babysit for me and everything. They do whatever for me in a heartbeat. They would also make comments like, you're spoiling them, or you should be doing this with them, or they don't need you to do that. But they don't understand trauma parenting can be different than regular parenting. These kids need that nurture. These kids might be missing some of those you know, needs that weren't met when they were a baby. They might need to be cuddled more. They might need to you know, eat every two hours. They might need whole slew of things, weighted blankets, you know, whatever. We went on a lot of trips um, those first, with those first two. We just like would go a couple hours um, out of town and go to fun places because, and I've kind of slowed down on that a little bit because I was like every weekend, let's just, let's just go, let's get all these experiences because I don't know when you're going back. Let's just, let's just go do all the things. And then that might've also kind of made it a little bit harder when they went back because they weren't getting that. So I've had to teach myself to kind of, you know, pace myself like I can give them good experiences, but also don't want to make it too like fun, 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 fun all the time. That was also very exhausting for me. But um, yeah, so that was how I kind of entered parenthood. And it was it was quite the journey, quite the challenge, very rewarding. Yeah. And doing it all on your own. I think that's like a huge thing. Like you said, like, oh, I'm I'm single, but I want kids. And like how much of a shift to, to go from being alone to then like having these children there with you to then, yeah, go to these different things and have all these different experiences. And I'm sure like that was super exciting for you to like be able to share that kind of stuff with them and to jump all into that. But I feel like it also must have been like such a huge shift in, you know, like finding like, how was it? I think a lot of the times, like when entering motherhood, like we kind of like forget about ourselves because now we do have these, these little people to like care for and like they're depending on us. So what did you do to kind of still be able to find time for yourself and to make sure that you were the best that you could be for them? It was hard, especially the those first two. And with the girl going to my school, she would just kind of stay with me the whole time. 
the boy went to the junior high and he would just get bused there. So he would be there right after school as well. So I would wake up with them, take them to school, come back with them. And then my only free time was kind of at night. And so I, I really struggled with that one. Since then, I've gotten better about like, okay, you can go to the Boys and Girls Club for a couple hours. So I can just, you know, recuperate, be better for you and not just go, go, go all the time. So I've had to kind of, it's been a balancing act. And I don't, I don't think I did much for myself with those first two. So I've had to learn as the journey has gone with these other kids, like I need to take a step back. I love you. I will be here for you in a couple hours when I have time to just center myself again. (laughs) It's very hard. So what would you suggest for somebody who is looking to become a foster mom or um, knows somebody that just became a foster mom? Like, what would you suggest doing for them or for themselves in order to help, you know, find that time? And like you said, since then, you've learned ways. But what do you think are some of those like tips or that have helped you that you could kind of pass along to somebody who's now going through it for the first time? I would say say yes to people that offer to help you and to be okay with letting the kids go to, I think my sister-in-law, my brother and my other sister, they've been amazing because they also have kids. And so to go for them to go over for play dates, like that's where my little one is now. He's hanging out with my little niece and nephew. So for them to be able to go and do that, it's okay it'll be okay. And so like the Boys and Girls Club is a great resource if they can get into classes that they don't need for just to find that time to kind of help yourself again. Because I think, especially with those first two, when they went back, since I had them 24-7, especially the little girl since she was in my class, I had them 24-7. When they left, there was a gigantic like black hole in my heart because I was so used to having them around so long. And the other ones, I kind of Like, I still loved them fiercely. I was still there for them all the time. I was a phone call away. But I also kind of made time to be alone again, especially towards that transition for them to go home. So I would say, you know, just accept help. Try to find things that they can do that are fun for them, that you can also take a break and just kind of, you know, center yourself. Um, If you're thinking about fostering or a lot of times I hear people say, oh, you're amazing. I couldn't do that. I would care too much. The whole point of fostering is to care too much. You know, we're here to care about the kids and give them love that maybe they haven't gotten before and then to be able to possibly send them back if that's where their journey is. And it hurts, and it hurt a lot, especially with that first one, before I knew what boundaries to put up and be like, oh, no, you probably shouldn't borrow the PS4 because then we're going to get into an altercation about getting it back, and that's just not a place that we want to be when you go home. So being able to, you know, set those boundaries and make sure that it's kind of a healthy cutoff, you know, go be with your family. I'm still here for you. You guys need to learn how to be a family again. And uh, so I think a lot more people could do it than realize it. And, you know, with my foster care coordinator, she was very, just try it and see. So that's always an option. It is a lot of work, but you do learn a lot. You're able to help kids and it really isn't for everybody, but I guess if you have a friend that is a foster parent offer help offer to babysit offer to bring meals because especially when we first get a placement it can be really overwhelming just trying to find this new normal this new balance this new family and being able to orchestrate all that so 
having somebody that's there. And even if you don't understand completely, because a lot of people in my life didn't then. So just being able to say, okay, like I understand how your parenting is different. I'm sure you know what you're doing. Just don't, don't act like you know when you don't know. Just kind of be there. Just support and offer help and what they need. They'll probably tell you. Yeah. So you said, so for the first two, you had a set end date. How has it been since that with the other, you say you've had seven kids now? Yeah, I'm on my seventh one now. So when you first get them, there's like a shelter in place hearing. And that just kind of determines if they'll stay in foster care. That one's within the first couple of days. And then after that, there's a court date every month or two. And so it's just kind of going from court date to court date because you never know when they're going to get sent back home. Um, Unless, like my first two, my first two actual fosters, they, it was really sudden. Like we had had a meeting on Friday that said, yeah, you'll have it for another, another few months. That's what's best for them. And then we had a court date the following Monday that was like, they're going home within 48 hours back to staff. So that was really hard. The ones after that, we kind of had a transition period. It was like, okay, they'll be spending the weekend there. This state will be spending three days. We'll be spending four days. We'll be spending five days. And then we're going to go home. And that was a lot easier. So, but we don't really know until the court date says, you know, they're transitioning home. Yeah. So what is that process like? Like you go to court and they say, like for your first one, for example, 48 hours, they're packing up and they're going home. What was that like? I wasn't actually at the court date. I was just like at home. And so I would call the caseworker and say, what was decided at court today? And everybody was pretty much like, oh, it'll be the same as it was on the meeting. Like not a big deal. And so I was like, hey, just checking in. Just let me know that this is the same. Oh we need to pack up their stuff and send them home. And so I just started like bawling and I had my nephews that were over here hanging out with the kids. And I was just upstairs in my room, like trying to pull it together to go and talk to them. And, and that one was hard. Like I wasn't ready. I didn't feel like they were, there was no transition time. This wasn't what we were expecting. It was so sudden. And so thinking about all their stuff that was everywhere, like in all the nooks and crannies of my house, cause they lived there. And thinking about packing that up within 48 hours and still going to school to keep normalcy, I was really overwhelmed. Like, I don't know how to do this. And then everybody kept saying, well, it can't happen. Like, it's not going to happen. Like, there's still a couple things that family has to do in order to make this happen. And they're probably not going to follow through on it. But you have to be ready just in case. Okay. Okay. And so we kind of started packing up. I told the teenage boy first, and he was like okay and then he was like texting people and then he's like I'm sad that's okay and he's like but I'm kind of happy too that's perfectly normal like I get it I'm happy for you too but I'm also sad you know it's very it's very bittersweet it's like I'm I'm happy for your family and that you guys get to be together and be a family again I'm sad because we've been a family for this past however long it's been and now that's changing so there was, you know, a lot of tears with all of us and then some excitement and they were happy they got to see their family again. And then there was a lot of, especially the girls, she struggled and I'd see her at school and everything. Just like, we'd just walk down the hallway holding hands. She just, just needed that. She 
didn't want to go and that was hard and but you know they got to get their family unit back together and that's why those boundaries were so important and I wish I would have had them back then because I wouldn't have left a swinging open door I would have been like hey you go figure out try your family like you guys have got this you have to learn how to be a family again and then I'm here for you whenever you need so you know it was rough and then yeah, the court days after that, the transition times were much better. I got to know the families a lot more. We were pretty much co-parenting and then slowly releasing that responsibility back to them. So that was really cool, getting to know the whole family, help the parents to, you know, reassure them that I am there for them and their children. And I, I want what's best for all of them. I want them to be So just kind of different with every case, but it's been good so far. So I'm sure now after three years, like your friends and family know the deal, like know what's going on. But you said like in the beginning stages, it was kind of like a little, are you sure? Like, is this, you know, so like what was, I guess, what was it like for friends and family when you started to get your first few sets of getting, getting them, they were, they were pretty supportive and, um, my nephews who were around the same age as the teenage boy, they just loved him. And so I could see them getting closer and closer and it terrified me, but made me so happy at the same time because I'm like, this is amazing for now. What's going to happen when they leave? And it was so hard on them when they did leave and they called me crying and they were like, you missed him. Like, are you okay? You were pretty much their mom. And I was like, I was, I'll, I'll be okay. <laughs> you know? And then especially I think the, they worried about me the most after the first one had left because I was kind of a drain wreck. Like it was so sudden first time. Um, and so I remember crying to my dad, like he was helping me pack up all their stuff and I was just sobbing and he was like, maybe you're not cut out for this. And I was like, but if I don't love them, then I'm not doing my job right. If it doesn't hurt, I'm not doing it right. <laughs> and he was just like, okay, whatever you say. And then, um, a few months later, I kind of took a long break after that. And then I got a teenage girl and she was in the crisis shelter. Like, and my mom, she was very, I was like, I don't know if I should get her. I don't know if I can handle another teenager. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Especially when with all of this history and stuff like that. And my mom was like, keep thinking about her at that shelter. <laughs> like, you have to take her. And so then they started becoming like, yeah, take the kids. Take the kids. You can do it. And so they've just been super supportive. And my little guy now, we went over to my parents' house for my dad's birthday, and he's calling them, like, Grammy and Poppy like the other kids do. And it's just, they just love it. Yeah. So how how has that, so you have nieces and nephews, so, like, your parents were grandparents beforehand, but yeah. they are, like, totally in love with the idea of them calling, the, what do you say, Grammy? And Grammy and Poppy. Poppy. Yeah. Yeah. So they were, he was asking for cake. He was like, thank you, Grammy. And like, happy birthday, Poppy. And my mom just looked at me. She's like, he's the sweetest little thing. Oh, and how old is he? He's eight. That's so sweet. And so what is it like, I guess, when you're kind of like out in public, you know, let's say like grocery shopping or something with them, like, like everyday normal activities. Like, what is what is that like? It depends on the kid and it depends on who we see. And sometimes 
I actually met one of the moms before we were technically allowed to meet at Walmart. And so I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, hi, how you doing? And um, it actually ended up going really well. And then we ended up becoming friends later. But it, it's very odd. And they'll see somebody that they know and they just kind of look at us like, what are you doing together? And I'll see somebody I know and they'll be like, what are you doing with this child? And, oh, is this your kid? And it's hard to know how to respond to those kinds of things. And so I try to prepare the kids beforehand and be like, um, especially the ones that go to the school. If the kids see us together, what do you want us to say? Are we going to say, please mind your own business? Are we going to say, well, he lives with me now? Or say, you know, like, this is my new mom for now. What do you want to say? So I really try to prepare the kids for questions that people might have and how they would like us to respond. Because sometimes, you know, I, I didn't like to use the word foster mom, especially with the first ones. I didn't know how they would feel about that. And so they just kind of were like, I don't care. Like, I don't, whatever. Hey, but if somebody says something, what, what should we say? And they're like, you can be mom, whatever. Okay. I'm like, I can be aunt. I can be cousin. I, I don't care who I am. Just let me know so I can, we can be on the same page. So it's, and all the ones that I've taken, except the, you know, first two little girls, I guess, they have been old enough to kind of have that conversation with. And so the little girl that was in my class was like, I'm just going to tell everybody to mind their own business. And even this little boy that I have now, I'm just going to tell everybody to mind their own business. And then we go to school and they're like, I live with her now. Okay. I guess we're telling people. How special is that? How does that make you feel when they're, they're proud to say like that they live with you now and and that's the situation? Yeah. It's so nice. And when they start calling my house home and when they refer to like, let's go on a family walk, like they refer to us as a family. I'm just kind of like, yes, like it just makes me so happy because they need to fill that yeah and they can't be with their own so yeah so you said that you wanted like a newborn but it sounds like the youngest that you had were your first two girls yeah and I kind of after those two I was like school age is nice school age we just kind of go to school like they're able to talk to me about things like I feel like I did pretty well with them and so I just kind of I guess I haven't really gotten calls for newborns either because most stay-at-home parents, foster parents, they will take the newborns first, the more experienced ones. Some people just, that's their wheelhouse, like zero to two. And I think the foster care coordinator told me zero to five is what most people prefer. So the fact that I go above that means that I will typically get the older children. But I have enjoyed it more than I thought I would. And even the teenagers, like in quarantine last year, um, I was like, who would I want to quarantine with? Like my teenagers, like we would have been super chill. I don't know if they would have gotten any homework done, but we would have watched like Gilmore Girls together all day or, you know, whatever. And it would have been, it would have been cool. So what are like sick days like, or how, how is it? I mean, you're a teacher, like what is, is work flexible? Are they aware that you're a foster mom and that like, you are you have these children do you have to notify them when when you get a, a new kid like make them aware of like I said like if, if they're sick and you have to stay home what is that like yeah I do I don't know if I have to make them aware but I definitely do I'm like hey I have this kid or like kid has a doctor's appointment or can my kid get bused here after school and so my principal has been 
really supportive about all of that. He always checks in, like, how's your kid doing and, and everything. So that part has been really good. And then I also get, like, I have FMLA leave if I ever need to take it. So I would let HR know and, and stuff like that. But um, just the other day, Wednesday, I was in a meeting in the morning, and I saw my current kid walking down the hallway with a garbage bike right there. And I was like, uh-oh, what's going on? I'm throwing up. Okay. And so I had to leave. And so I'm like, all right, hopefully the sub that was there this morning can stay for the rest of the day because I guess I got to go. Um, so I do have, I mean, I guess I get the same amount of sick leave, but whatever sick leave I do have can transfer to them and their appointments and everything like that too. So it's just, yeah, it's more for sure when I have kids than when I don't. And so far I've been very supported with all of that. So it's been that's awesome. So what would you kind of suggest to people that are considering being a foster mom or thinking about it? I would suggest talking to maybe local foster parents if you know any. Talk to your local DFS um, place or DFS, whatever yours is called, the family services, and just kind of see what your statistics are if you're looking into adoption or what that looks like because that was kind of a, a big eye-opener for me. and you know, taking classes is free. At least it is where I am. So you could always start there and just kind of see what all the trauma responses are. See if that's something that you're willing to work with and all of the behaviors that can come with all of this trauma and just see kind of where you're at with that. And yeah, it's hard to let go. Yes, it can be, you know, it's hard to think about how much you love them and then the possibility, the probability of having to let them go. But also, if they don't have someone who loves them, then it's kind of not worth it to be a foster parent. They need that love. So if you're able to give kids love, I would say try it. That's awesome. Do you think this is going to be something that you stick with for a long time? Or where do you kind of see things going, I guess, like as you... um... Well, that's hard because going, I didn't want, I knew I wanted to be a foster parent from kind of a young age, but I always thought I would be married and have my own biological children first. Like I wanted that to happen when I was young. And then I was nearing 25 and I was like, don't have a man right now. I'm not going to wait for one. Like I'm going to make this happen. And so now I'm like, I don't know what that looks like. I know a lot of people foster with their own biological children and I would have a hard time stopping fostering I feel like at this point because I've got such momentum going and everything and I do want to have biological children at some point so I don't know it's kind of hard to say I feel like if I do take a break you know raise my own kids or whatever that looks like or if I if I end up adopting and then I want to take a break to kind of solidify our family um, then I feel like I'll come back to it later because I can see myself way in the future just adopting a ton of teenagers or, you know, having a gazillion kids that I've adopted that can always come over for Thanksgiving or whatever. So that kind of, I don't know, that just makes my heart warm and fuzzy to think about the impact that I can make. All of them. That's amazing. I think, I think that's just like, you know, so huge, like something that like, you know, you knew, like, I wanted to do this for these kids. And like, I wanted to be a mom. And like, how can I make that possible? And then like wanting to continue to like do that and and be able to share you know your your love with these kids 
and in whatever way you can, I think is awesome. Yeah. Is there anything else that you kind of want to like go over? I mean, comments like whenever kids go home, it's not good to comment, well, this is what you got yourself in. Because it is hard. You're taking on parenting for real. Or when people don't think that foster parenting is actual parenting, that gets hard. So just, you know, appreciate foster moms as parents. We're parenting day in and day out. And sometimes it's even harder because we have um, trauma that we have to deal with. We have kids with behaviors. We didn't know these kids most of their lives. And here they are dropped on our doorstep and like, here, parenting, go. So, you know, just be empathetic. Try to see things from their point of view. And if you can't, then just try to support wherever you can. I love that. Yeah, I think, you know, there probably can be like a lot of misconceptions. And I mean, I have never fostered a child. Like I can't, I can't say what it's like. And I think, you know, like having these kind of kind of conversations or if you are aware that somebody has adopted a child or is fostering a child and asking them, you know, what is that like? And like, like, what are some, I guess, comments that you might get? And like, that's why I was asking, like, how is your friends and families or when you're in public settings and stuff? But what are, I guess, some things that are kind of like misinterpreted or misunderstood or or like you said, it's frustrating to hear those things. Just kind of, you know, assumptions that people make. And I know it's not it's not on purpose all the time, but saying things like, you know, you're spoiling them or why are those kids with you? Or um, I think my teenagers were funny and I don't know how you would prevent this because one of my teenagers was a boy, a lot taller than me. He looked 15. I was only like barely turned 26 at the time. I was not old enough to have had him. And we would go into stores and places and people would just be like, you know, hey, be nice to your mom. Like they automatically assumed I was mom. And then my next teenager, same age difference, wasn't old enough to have her. She was Hispanic. And people would assume that we were friends. Like we were both teenagers. And so it was just kind of odd because I was like, oh, they're going to expect, they're going to say things about mom. Like how's she going to feel about that? And then it was like, oh, so you're both doing the teen whatever. And I'm like, no, she is. <laughs> or we would be paying for something at the store and they would be like, oh, are you paying together? Yeah, we are because <laughs> I'm her parent right now. And it was just kind of odd to see that difference, whereas everybody assumed with the boy, like, that's mom. And then with the girl, we were friends. That's so it just, wild. It, it was it was a little crazy because that's not what I was expecting coming out of what I had come out of but you know just especially if kids are a different race and people mention things like that or like oh something about their dad must be dark or things like that have been said to people or you're not real parenting and a lot of things can be misinterpreted and people just say whatever comes to their mind and so just think before you speak and think about how it can be interpreted and if you don't know somebody's a foster parent and they show up with a kid like you don't have to ask who they are just say hi yeah I think that's great advice and really kind of like helping people understand like what that process is like and and really just you know like you said just say hi and like you know it doesn't have to you don't have to know the picture clearly and you know, that's the dynamic and that's what's going on. And I think 
I think just accepting everybody like where they're at and what they're doing and and taking it as and knowing what's our business versus what's other people's business like you don't need to know about the kid's dad you don't need to know any of that like that's that's not your concern and then there were some people that would find out I was fostering kids that they knew and they would ask you know what the situation was and we're bound by laws like we're not allowed to discuss that with you so just you know you can be curious everybody's curious but it's really not your business and it's not something that we can discuss legally and we're protecting the child and you know it's it's their story to tell if someday they want to but it's not us it's not up to us yeah I think that's really important to like understand like I think naturally as humans we get a little curious and like we kind of like oh well what happened or something like that and like just understanding like it's it's none of your business like you said like that conversation that you have with your kids when they first come and like how do you want to approach this how do you want to you know, call me or what is this? What is that? And I think just having that phrase, like it's none of your business is, is perfectly acceptable and, and fine to have. Yeah. And people feel like it's not like they have to come up with an excuse, but really it's not, the kid has nothing to do with you. It's their story to tell. They don't have to tell you. I think that answered a lot of like my questions and I think it's really awesome just you know understanding the viewpoint of of what it was like for you to become a mom for the first time and I think that's the beauty of motherhood that it can look different for everybody and and here you are you knew what you wanted to do and you hardcore went into all the trainings and stuff for three months and you got to be at a place that you could accept these kids into your home and love them and give them that uh, beautiful opportunity to spend time with you like in whatever circumstances is going on so I think that's amazing and and you know you are a mom and you're doing the same things that all of us other moms are doing but like you say you don't know if you're gonna have a newborn or a 13 year old you know you're getting thrown into whatever situation is is coming and I think you know you don't we we slowly like like Rosie's one and a half and like I've gotten to have like each of those little tiny stages to you know like I'm learning she's learning but to have to just jump in with fully blown children yeah Yeah. diving into the deep end right and like you said like all that the trauma and the things that they're going on with and coming from like a different dynamic and and now even the habits and everything that maybe weren't established in their family unit before and and now like you said a a stranger here is telling them like we're gonna brush our teeth now we're gonna shower like this is what we're gonna do here's your room you're gonna sleep alone you know like those are huge transitions for them. And that's a huge transition for you and having to pivot with every new family that's, that's coming in, I think, I think. Is- right. And it's totally different. My family dynamic changes all the time. And it's like, it's just a totally different house each time, which is awesome, but also difficult. <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I think what you're doing is amazing. And I think any way that we can be mothers and be there for each other and everything is just super helpful. Do you, um, I guess like 
get a chance to speak with other foster moms or, or where do you kind of like find support? There are awesome like Facebook foster parent support groups. And so like single foster mamas is one that I'm really active on. And then there's like single foster adoptive parents. And then there's ones that are just for fostering and adopting. And then there's different conditions that can go with each of them. So there's quite a quite a variety depending on what you're looking for on just like Facebook. And that's been that's been really helpful because as supportive as my family and friends are, they also don't understand firsthand what any of this is like. So being able to go there and ask questions and get support and feedback and everything has been amazing. I don't I don't know if I could do it without them. It just felt so lonely when that kind of newness of, oh, you got a new placement, let's support you. And then I don't understand what you're doing. And so I'm just kind of going to kind of back off. So it was nice to have them in between all of that. Yeah. And that's something that you want to try to get going and building and everything too, right? Yes, I would love to try to that help support foster parents and book studies and all of that so hopefully soon yeah what would that kind of look like for you I would think it would be similar to a Facebook kind of support group that's going but I would also want to do you know book studies and maybe have journaling and like therapy resources because it's a lot that we take on our plate and even as mothers even as people like everybody has a lot on their plate and so just having all that support, all those resources in one place and good books that we can check out because I didn't know that there was a whole slew of other books that weren't required to become a foster parent that would be amazingly beneficial as a foster parent. So, you know, I would like to compile all of that, have a community where we can ask questions and support each other and and all of that. So hopefully I can get that up and running soon. Yeah. Yeah. And if you have any, you know, like special book that you want to suggest, I can attach them in the show notes and share them or if you want to you know let us know how we can contact you and um, where we can find you and stuff to if we have questions more in depth of, of what it's been like to be a foster mom and if people are out there considering it or thinking about it how can they reach out to you I have an Instagram and it's kind of lonely looking right now but I'm going to get it up and going a lot better soon but it's just called fostering solo and um, some books, like The Connected Parent has been a huge one. It kind of goes into PBRI kind of things, which is trust-based relationship intervention. And it's kind of, you know, you might have an eight-year-old, but they weren't rocked as a child. They weren't given all of these things that they needed as a child. When they cried, nobody came. So how we can address that now that they're eight years old, like they still need that. That's part of the things that they see. And so it kind of dives into that, how we can deal with behaviors from a more understanding perspective and not a punishing perspective. And so that one's been really helpful. There's also The Explosive Child, and I don't remember the authors off the top of my head, but The Explosive Child was really helpful with my last foster daughter because she was very explosive. And so I was like, I was starting to lose my cool, and I'm like, I need something to help me not lose my cool because I know that's not what she needs. I know she's reacting out of a place of trauma, but she really knows how to push my buttons. And so that kind of helped me just take a step back and like, okay, this is what I need to do moving forward. So those two have been amazing for me to be able to read. Awesome. That's so neat. I'm just, this was such an amazing conversation and I'm so happy that we did this and put this together. And um, I just- Thank you for having me. Yeah. 
Well, this wraps up yet another episode of Entering Motherhood. I hope that you have found this episode helpful. And if you liked it, please share it with others who might also benefit from this information. If there's anything that you'd like to know more about, or maybe you know someone who'd like to be on the show, please visit my website, enteringmotherhood.com. I'm so thrilled to be going on this journey with you and getting the amazing opportunity to help moms during this postpartum experience. You can also now find us on Instagram and Facebook at Entering Motherhood.